0: In Matthew 5, Jesus says that his disciples are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Lots of people are feeling alone and isolated these days. Some of us have been stuck at home for the past two years. Maybe only a few people that we even keep in touch with. Even those relationships are largely on Zoom or FaceTime. Or social media. We're surrounded by people longing for a connection, but anxious about venturing out of the house. We're unsure about where to restart, to re-engage in community. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And he gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We are salt. We are able to help people in need and bring healing to areas of brokenness. We are light. When people are confused or lost, we can point them to the truth and show them how to walk through life the way God intended. In an artificial world full of isolation and loneliness, we invite people into an in-person community that is filled with grace and truth. In a world of consumers pursuing comfort and entertainment, we invite people to invest in eternity. In an angry world where people are demonizing each other, we invite people to become peacemakers. In a confused world where people are longing for identity, we invite them to discover who they were designed to be in Christ. You are the salt that preserves the life that is on the brink of giving up. You are the light that breaks into the darkest heart and gives them hope. Because of Jesus, you are salt and light in this world.
1: Amen? That's who we are, and that's who we want to be, and um, we're going to continue with our second message in our salt and light project, our salt and light project in this series. And so you're going to grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be there in just a minute, but I want to make sure you get there um, and uh, can, can get ready. I want to basically telegraph the past for you this morning to make sure you know where we're going Today's message has two parts. It's my part and then David Amon's part. Okay, so when I get done, you can possibly say, wow, that was a really short message. No. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I want to make sure that you're ready, that there's two parts to what we're going to be talking about today. And we want to be able to dig deep into the scripture to find out why in the world do we need to build this building and what will it do and can it do for us as we learn to be salt and light in our world and in our community, um, there there has been an illustration or an analogy of the church for years. Some have said in the past that the church is like a cruise ship. You just come and you just get whatever you want. You're in charge. I went on a cruise, a Carnival cruise. That was not a good experience, let me just say that. <laughs> I got on and we were in the cheap seats which was down below the water and think Titanic, Titanic. And we were down there and I walked into my room and there was a twin bed and it had seat belts on it. <laughs> and I was like, "Why? Why do you It's a cruise. Why do you need seat belts?" And I realized why you need seat belts, because I almost fell out of my bed. And so at nighttime, I had to strap myself in. I have not been on a cruise since. (laughs) Okay. And I don't think that it takes much description that that's not the kind of church that we want to be. Now, there's also an illustration where the church has said, well, the church is not a cruise ship. Where you're in charge and you're God and you just get whatever you want, the church is a battleship that we're going to take out our enemies and we're going to defend the gospel and we're going to go on the we're going to go on the defensive we're a battleship we're going to approach sin and yes, there are some illustrations that might seem fit, but I don't think that a battleship explains what the church should fully be about I think the third type of a ship, which is called an aircraft carrier, is a more proper definition or analogy of what the church should be about. Not a cruise ship and not a battleship, but an aircraft carrier. I think that there are some really neat examples of how the church and an aircraft carrier really line up together. You, you see, here's here's the definition of an aircraft carrier. An aircraft carrier is a warship that serves as a seagoing going air base equipped with a full-length flight deck and facilities for what? For carrying, arming, deploying, and recovering aircraft. And so let's put these two things together, aircraft carrier and church, and see some, some similarities. Both an aircraft carrier and a church is strategically positioned you have basically an, a landing field in the actual ocean. You have an airport in, in the actual ocean, strategically positioned. Well, the members of the church and the members of the aircraft carrier are unified in their mission. They know exactly what we're going to be about. There's also everyone on the ship and everyone in the church has a role to play. And none is more important than the other. But each of us have a role to play. And then in the church and in the, on the aircraft carrier, we we gather there, we learn what the mission is, we are equipped for that mission, and then, here's the key, we are sent out to accomplish that mission. So you can see some similarities between the, the two. And so... What we want to understand and what we want to unpack right now is, hey, we want to understand how can we be the clearest and the best disciples that we can be to bring salt and light to the world that's around us. And we unequivocally believe that a building can help us do that to even a greater degree. You're saying, well, why do you need a building? Can't you do this without a building? Yes, we have been. Amen? Amen? We've been doing that without one. But it's time for us to realize, it's time for us to wrap our arms around what could having this structure down on that road, a $4 million piece of property that is strategically and sovereignly positioned for us to gather, to be equipped, and to be sent so that we can be salt and light to those around us. And, and I really, I really think um, I'm going to let you in on I'm gonna let you in on my dad joke that's getting ready to happen. Okay? It's, uh, it's been a few weeks, and I just need to let you in on it, but I need your help first. All right, you with me? I need you to tell me this. I need you to say, Matt, that's terrible. I'm going to let you say it now, and then I'm going to tell you the dad joke. Matt, that's terrible. Okay, good. So here it is. When we, as the church, see ourselves more as an aircraft carrier, it will really help our disciple ship. Oh, God. Say, okay, come on, that. That's, that's terrible. You know, I, one of the greatest things that I can say is that Eric Howard is in person to hear that one. I love you, Eric. Okay, so, so here we are right now. We understand that what's going on at Northwest Community Church, what's happening with us right now is that since we started, we have, been, we have wanted to come out to this area to reach people with the absolute beautiful message of the gospel for them to know who King Jesus is to be disciples, be a family of disciples that are making disciples. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is opening up the longest sermon he ever preached, and he's telling us right from the get-go, I want you to be salt and light. What he's saying is, I want you to take new ground. I want you to go on the offensive. I don't want you to stand back and just be defensive. I want you to go out and take new ground. And we know that we have a $4 million piece of property down on the, the corner down there that, listen to me, that is completely paid for. It, guys, it's, it's paid for. I'll say it again, it's paid for. The, 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 the corner, the work that's need, that has needed to be done is, is, is done. We're, we're ready to have a hub so that we might be salt and continue to be salt and light in the, in the world, in the situation, in the in carry that God has placed us in. For his glory and your, your good. And for your neighbor's good. Um, so we recognize that we're a family of disciples that are making disciples. We realize that we each have gifts to play in accomplishing what we continue and want to do. It's amazing to think of what we could do and the way we can gather. We gather each and every week as a corporate body for about an hour and a half. And we've been doing that for about 14 years. What a beautiful thing to picture of the gathering things, the gathering that we can have when we have our own place and a central place to go and to learn our mission. So why do we need a building? We want to be salt and light. And I think Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to camp out. And before David comes up and shares with us some, a little bit more details. The writer of Hebrews, who has left himself unidentified, a lot of people speculate who he is, but he's encouraging them to not, number one, neglect their salvation. That's Hebrews chapter 3. And he's also encouraging them in in the early part of chapter 10 that I don't want you to miss that you don't need a goat or a bull to be sacrificed, that you have King Jesus, that you have forgiveness of sins because of what he did. And then we come down to verses 23 to 25 in Hebrews chapter 10, and he really unpacks this, and we're going to We're going to apply this to our situation of why are we looking to build a building and why do we need to have a building? So I believe it's important for us to start at 25 and not start at 23. So I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to come back and look at 25, then 23, then 24. Here's what it says in 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us, if I was you, I would circle the word, let us, okay, let us consider how to stir one up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near the first thing that i want us to see that what we do as a body of believers the first thing that i want you to see is that we gather look at verse 25 he gives an absolute bold very bold statement and says not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some it is incredibly easy right now to look at and buy into all of the options that are, afford, that, that are available to us in the place that we live and also choose them over choose gathering together. And I would say this. I, as one of your pastors, want to warn you about neglecting this gathering. It is not good for you. It is not good for your family. It's not good for your kids. It's not good for any of us to neglect the fellowship and the gathering on a regular basis of this place. Make this a priority. That's what he's trying to teach us right here. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, what I want you to do is show up. And as Ryan said, open up. And that happens when we gather together. One of the hardest things in the duet, and after the last two years, is to continue to make this, the gathering and the reassembling, so um, a priority. It, it's Someone told me the other day, said, well, 33% are with you and have been with you from the very, for the last two or three years. 33% are now coming back, and 33%, we have no idea where they are. The FBI can't find them. And and here here is what's really dangerous. When we neglect the assembling or the gathering, then what is a statement that we say? I'm not connected. Because being connected has everything to do with with consistency and not neglecting the gathering right here. And what, it, what would it look like for us to gather here as a corporate body? What would it look like for Northwest Community Church for us to gather more than just one hour per week or four hours a uh, month? What would it look like? A dream of that time where we would have an, a, a prayer time together that's everybody's involved in. It's, it, it blows my mind to think of the opportunities that we have to be around each other more because why we need each other and we can't do this thing alone. And so the writer of Hebrews is basically looking at it right here going, okay, I, I don't want you to neglect this. I want you to put this as a priority. I don't want those other things, those sports activities or anything to get in the way of us gathering together. You need it. We need it. We need to be in this together. And so we gather together and and we don't neglect that time. And when we gather together, what's the second thing that I think the scripture teaches? Hebrews teaches us very clearly that we are equipped. And so let's let's unpack, let's go back to 23 for where he started. So look at 23. First thing he says is let us. You got to circle that. You got to highlight that. Because why? None of this makes sense if we're not doing this in community. Whether it's a smaller group or a bigger group, he's telling us right now, I want you, let us, what are we going to do? First thing, we're going to hold fast the confession of our hope. Next part, without, say it, wavering. Wavering. Let Let me just say this right now. It is difficult, it is hard, and we need each other in order to hold fast to that confession that we have believed in. We're holding fast in gospel community without wavering. Well, you can sit there and sit there, you can ask the question, well, I, my, my faith is, is wavering this week. Who is helping you? Who is walking alongside of you to do just that? How are we um, walking with each other and side by side? The word, then he also goes down here and it looks, look down in verse 24. Verse 24 says this, and let us, there it is again. So we're doing this in community. Let us consider. So be aware of what's going on in each other's lives. How's the parenting thing going? I don't know about you, but I've got it completely figured out. Yeah, I am. I've got it completely figured out. I know exactly what to do on every situation. Just come and ask. (laughs) I've I've got it. So he says, "How how do we do this? Well, we're in community together. We're gathering together. And it's very clear. He says, let us stir each other up. Here is the key issue that he's talking about. We need to push each other, challenge each other, provoke each other. I am not aware on some days of my blind spots. And I need you to help point them out to me. And you need me to help you, help yours be pointed out. And, and listen, last night there was a game, okay? All right, let me just, let me just say this. I'm not, I'm, 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 let me just say. There was a guy in the crowd, everybody was wearing the Coach K, really nice pullover jackets, okay? There was a guy in the middle of all the players who add on a camouflage yellow and green jacket in the middle of all the Duke NBA players that have come through the program. Let me just explain something to you. He needs to be in a small group. He needs to be stirred up because he didn't get the memo of what you're supposed to wear. What I'm trying to explain this to you is that when we are together as a group We're able to stir each other up and you're able to look at me and say, Matt, that's not right. That's unbiblical. You shouldn't talk like that. Your tone is wrong. We need each other to stir each other up. Why? We stir each other up to love and good deeds and love and good deeds is summarized by being salt and being light. And he's saying, how do we do that? Well, we do that in a community with each other. Let me let me, let me go on. He also says this in the verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Then he says, but as a difference to that, here's what I want you to do. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, I'm not really sure how you view end times, but here's what I do know. Jesus is coming back. He is. And we're gonna live in that new Jerusalem in that new Eden that he has planned for us. And what we're doing right now is we're trying to get each other ready for that day. And so as we do that, we're in life together. We're gathering together more than just four hours a month or more than just one hour a week. We're doing this more when we're able to have a, a hub, a central location that, that is God's, that has entrusted to us. Because it's not our building. It's the building that God has given us so that we can meet in this hub, we can be equipped up, we can stir each other up, and we can look at you in the face and encourage you when you've had a really bad week. I cannot imagine the equipping that can take place in this building. A dream. Marriage is tough, amen? And there are marriages all over the city that God has placed us in that are in really bad shape, and they've gone through tragic situations. But what would it look like for us to have a couple that is sitting there and ministering to them and encouraging them that maybe they've been through a divorce and there is a divorce recovery. Maybe there is uh, counseling opportunities that, hey, we want to meet you here. We want to sit down and we want to talk with you through who God is, what his plan is for your life. Those are just to name a few. So let me, let me back up just a little bit right now. The, the church has seen as an aircraft carrier, Where we gather, where we are equipped. But why do we gather and why are we equipped? Very simply, John chapter 20, verse 21, answers this question. That verse is not on the screen. Sometimes when you prepare everything, the Lord gives you something late and it doesn't make the cut on the screen. But Let me just explain this verse to you. It says, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then Jesus says, he gave up his life and took his last breath, John 20, verse 21. And so here is Jesus, God in the flesh, who is giving up his life. And he says, the Father has sent me to you to declare who he is. And just as he has sent me, now I'm sending you. So the aircraft carrier has these ships on, these planes on them. They gather together. They learn what they're supposed to do. They are equipped. And then they are sent out to accomplish their mission. And every single week, you and I are sent out. What a beautiful picture of having a building to be able to sit there and say, that's the hub, that's the central hub where we are on a daily basis, regardless of your profession, regardless of where you work, that you don't see secular and sacred, that it is all sacred. And you have been sent to your workplace, to your dentist, to wherever the case might be to live for the glory of King Jesus because you have been sent, you've been equipped, you have gathered, you've been stirred up, you've been encouraged, and you've been sent. And I truly believe with everything that's in me that a building is going to help us do that to a greater degree. I want to um, talk to you about Emily. Her last name is Reynolds. Emily Reynolds. Emily Reynolds last weekend came... To um, our our weekend called Meta. And Emily came to Meta, and she was responsible for hanging out with the middle school girls. Emily is a sophomore at Liberty University, and she grew up in this church. Okay? And so Emily comes and hangs out with our girls, and I have to tell you something, I was absolutely blown away by her investment in these middle school girls because Dana kicked our boys out of the house for the weekend and we had middle school girls staying at our house and Emily was in charge of hanging out with them and I got to see firsthand a girl who was just passionate about Jesus and as I'm sitting in the car driving the girls to the Apex Baptist Church to the, the Meadow Weekend. I just looked over and I said, Emily, tell me what church you go to. And this is what she said. She says, well, I have been going to this church and I have recognized that I don't think they're preaching the Bible. And I was like, well, tell me about that. She says, well, I could find in scripture some things in the scripture that it just wasn't lining up. And so I met with them. I met with the leadership. And it was very clear to me that what they were teaching there was a prosperity gospel, not the gospel. And so as I'm sitting in the back, I just told that story probably 20 minutes ago to her mom. And her mom just said to me, I got a text from Emily. She woke up, and she's going into a new church today all by herself. Here's what I want you to see. What are we all about here? We're about gathering, equipping, and sending for the glory of King Jesus and for your good. That's what we're about. To be salt and light so that the world may see he is good. And that there is no one like him. And your sin is not greater than his grace. Let me put it this way. Your sins are not greater than his grace. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, we want to send you out. I just look at Emily who grew up here and she's been sent out. She's in college trying to let people know who Jesus is. That's a picture, just a little picture, an illustration of, again, what we're trying to do. So we gather, and we are equipped, and we are sent. And why are we doing that? Because there are broken people all over the world that need to hear the greatest message that you and I have have surrendered to. And it's simply not just for us. It's for others. What a beautiful thing to be able to have our own place to gather in and to be sent out and you might be asking the question well how in the world are we going to do that and that's part two that's that's David David is going to come up here and David's going to share with us about what does this look like how can this be a reality and so David come on teach us
0: thanks Matt well, that was, a, that was a little too strong of an introduction that I'm going to tell you how. Uh, I, I would say that that's, uh, let's, let's, let's reset the expectations. I'm going to not tell you how, but I'm going to share what God has put on our hearts and where we are today. Um, as, as, as Matt just uh, reminded us, hopefully I have control here. Um, we're looking at how does that corner become a hub for worship and equipping and sending and how is it an intentional gathering place for our community? We think there is a both and in what this property looks like. And uh, that's that's been the same since back in 2014 when we first started raising money for what this future could look like of this church family gathering in that place. That's been what we've been striving for. And so there's not anything new here. There's not anything that's changed. And so I'm going to just kind of skip right ahead because Matt just did a great job laying that out for us. And I want to remind you of a, a text in scripture that, Uh, some of you might be familiar with this. Uh, I I regularly have to go back to this text that a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. And so I am going to show you some of the plans that have started to develop uh, through our team, through the professionals that we are working with, through architects, engineers, construction managers, all the people. Um, But God has to put these things into place. We can't control them. And so that's why I would say this is this is an idea, and this is a dream, and this is a vision. Uh, this is not a, this is happening, thus saith the Lord, it's going to be here in this time frame. Um, we are asking God to do this, and we believe we are walking in obedience to where he is leading us, and he's got to make those steps possible. So um, I'm going to walk through three questions for us today. The first one is, where are we today? Uh, the second is, what do we envision is next? And the third is, how might we get there? Um, It's not going to all be covered today. I've got a lot more information than can possibly be handled before we all want to get to lunch. So a couple things. Number one, you're going to be given a packet, an information packet, a set of cards. And these are going to give you an overview of kind of what we talked about, what we've been talking about, what we're going to talk about. There's also links in there to our website where there will be a page launched this week that will address more questions. And lastly, we are aware that some of you want to know a lot more about finances and some of you want to know a lot more about tiles in the bathrooms. And some of you will want to know a lot more about the type of grass. Um, And all those things are time and place and not right now. And and we're going to provide context for that. We're going to have large group gatherings with life groups. Uh, We were happy to meet with you separately. That is not for today. I was reminded this morning by someone in the band that I can't talk about what type of screws we're using in a certain location. Don't worry, we don't know that yet. Um, So we are gonna just get the high level stuff and there's a lot more opportunity in the days to come to answer those questions. So um, where are we today? Just a reminder, Matt just walked through this. 2.25 million was raised through 2014 to 2017. We now own 20 acres debt free. $1.2 million worth of offsite improvements have been completed. If you don't know what offsites are, I'll be happy to explain it later. It's that big, nice road widening that we parked on until they told us we couldn't, uh, as well as other things. And we have about a million dollars in the bank uh, today between building, operating, and operating reserves, some of which is available to be used for this project. So, key takeaway from that, God has provided abundantly for this church family. And it's now our opportunity to say, okay, God, what's next? And so that's that's the big question, what's next? Uh, what's next is, well, in the town of Cary, you can't just put a building in a field. They require roads and parking lots and stormwater runoff and stormwater ponds. And that left column is the internal infrastructure required. And for our project, that's about half of our project, honestly. Uh, And then the other half in the right column is we're looking at multifunctional building or buildings, things that can be flexible in nature, things that can serve both to equip and gather this church body, but also can be used for the community throughout the week. And we think that a big part of that is also what happens outside of those buildings. What are the outdoor amenities? We love that being on that tobacco trail, there are people that are part of this church family now because they walked past our gatherings during COVID. We love that During the week, we're out there having meetings and random neighbors pop in. We just met our backdoor neighbor, his name's Gene. Gene popped into the office this week and because we're right there sharing a backdoor, we are getting to know Gene and his family. We are praying for Gene and his family. Gene, if you're listening, great. We loved meeting you this week. we are excited to be a church in a neighborhood, in the community. I get to see many of you that live in Woodhall bike bike by during the week and the opportunities that it presents to be outside and outdoors on that property to create a place for the community is really neat. So that's the priorities of phase one. Um, I'm going to give you a quick orientation. If you remember, if you were with us under that Awesome tent, which there is not a picture of a tent coming up. I will go ahead and tell you. I'm not going to even make a joke about a tent being the next picture. The Orange Block is just showing you where the tent was. That tent is actually right behind us now. The school is being blessed by that tent. So thank you. This is awesome. Um, But that's where the tent was. And then Camp Northwest Kids is on there to orient you as well. And we are focusing all of our development up in that top left quadrant. We can get into the why on that later, but I just want you to kind of have your bearings. Um, The tent is right next to two buildings. You see those big gray blocks, and I'm gonna show you a a rendering in just a moment of what those are gonna look like. And so the the majority of what we're gonna be planning to do is parking and road, uh, which you can see down there just below the blue box. And then the blue box is kind of where the majority of what we're gonna do uh, is gonna happen. And you might look at that and say that's huge. You might look at that and say that's small. All depends on your perspective, but that's where we believe God's calling us to start, and it honestly leaves a huge chunk of our property untouched, which is an exciting thing. Part of the hopes of this is what else does God have for us with this property? What else might God do with 20 acres, all of which don't need to be buildings? What else does God want God want to use that property for? And we're leaving a lot of that up to him because Uh, We know that when we try to plan those things, it it doesn't usually go very well. Um, But we're doing our best to plan wisely and prudently within the limits that we have uh, financially, uh, as well as in the town of Cary. And uh, we can talk more about that later, but this is not even the full property. I have a site plan that you can look at in the back if you would like to see the full site plan to fully understand the context. But um, this is where we're kind of going to focus buildings and activities right in that blue area to begin with. Now, before I show you these pictures, I want you to remember these are in a draft form. These are not ready to go to construction. You're gonna look at something that is not altogether really ready at all. You're gonna look at it and say, well, what, what color is that? Well, it's white because it's just a box to show you some ideas. It's, it's got some tan on it. Uh, it might not be tan in the final rendering. That might be red brick. Or it might be a whitewashed brick, or it might be a different material altogether. Um, We don't really know, but I'm going to show you some renderings that hopefully start to give you an idea of what it might look like to see this place become not just a tent with a, a really great swing set, but a place that can be used all year long and every day What could an equipping and gathering and sending center that also becomes a community gathering place look like? What types of spaces does our community need? We didn't just come at this conversation saying, well, this is what a church needs. We also have been trying to look at both sides of that coin from what does a church need, but what are the other things we see happening in our community? I drive in and out of friends' neighborhoods where they have clubhouses, and I many times am jealous of those clubhouses because I see so many times there's a... Uh, A big feast happening and and, uh, some cultural event happening. And the other day I drove by one and I was like, I swear there's a wedding happening in that clubhouse. And it was just one of those things. I'm like, man, that's neat. So for that neighborhood, that clubhouse has become a community center. Um, well, not everybody has a clubhouse like that. That's just some of our neighborhoods. But what does it look like instead of it being, well, you have to live in that neighborhood to have that clubhouse? What does it look like for us to have that community gathering place where the church can be a place for our community to come? And what uh, what might God do? So I'm going to show you some pictures. The first one is going to be, dun, 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 dun. Uh, again, if you're, if you're wowed by it, that's awesome. If you're not impressed, that's okay too. This is if you were a 35 foot tall person standing in the trees approximately in the back corner of our gravel parking lot looking towards where the office currently is now the office is not shown here because it's a question mark of if the office stays or goes but what you're looking at is two buildings the building uh one of them is labeled sanctuary and one is labeled classrooms. Uh, That's just a rough term we can talk about later, but the idea here is these two buildings would flank an open courtyard. Now that open courtyard doesn't really show what it could be. Some of that is intentional, because we need help thinking about that as we get further along in these plans. What does it look like to recreate some of the experiences we've had as we've been outside at that property right there outside of those, those doors? What does it look like for that sanctuary where you might notice a whole bunch of windows it looks like? Well, those are intended to be doors that would open wide open. So on a day like today, instead of having a brick wall over here, you open those doors wide open and there'd be flow inside and outside for the community. And what other types of events happen in a space like that? What do those classrooms look like? How are they made multi purpose and flexible so they work great for our kids, but also double as a divorce care or recovery type group meeting? How can they be used for homeschool groups or co working spaces? Or what is it during the week that God is calling our church family to engage this culture and this community in in these spaces? And so we believe there's some really neat opportunities here. Um, The reason for two buildings is somewhat because of the way the the topography of the land, it works better than having one to embrace certain parts of the topography. It also allows us to think about phasing. A question that I've had from some people is, well, what if we don't reach our goal? Well, one of the things we can think about is how could we phase into these buildings if that's what we need to do? Um, There's some flexibility. There's some creativity. uh, And this is not, again, intended to be a final pitch. It's just a, hey, here's what we're starting to think about. You'll notice a neat covered outdoor area there uh, in between those buildings where we envision being able to have uh, things happening in between services. That's the place. It's an open foyer. Uh, it's a it's a spot to gather. But also, during the week, we would imagine having the right kind of furniture out there where you would just come after your walk on the trail and go have a seat, bring your coffee, maybe our... Maybe we have a coffee bar. Who knows? Uh, and you can grab that cup of coffee and, and hang out with a friend, have a conversation. Uh, maybe that's a place where uh, our student ministry uh, small groups are meeting up during the week with their with their student ministry leader, and it's a great place to just come and casually hang out, and it's it's an inviting and, and friendly place right off the tobacco trail, right amongst these neighborhoods just up the road. So those, that's one angle. I want to show you. I'm going to show you another angle. Um, this is actually if you were standing in the middle of the intersection at Morrisville Parkway and White Oak Church Road. Again... Nothing's final here, windows aren't in final placements, but um, hopefully what you see there is, uh, we're not trying to create something that is uh, overly extravagant, it's honestly very simple, Um, but also hopefully it becomes something that's very beautiful Uh, Lots of windows, lots of openness, lots of ability for people to see the life and the activity happening on that campus, as well as places where it's not uh, a fortress, where you can't come in. Uh, There'll be places and ways that it's inviting for you to walk into that campus and it feels uh, just like a a neighborhood park, a place for people to come. So there's another angle to show you just some things uh, that we're envisioning right now. Again, uh, we'll see what fully develops in the future. Um, uh, Just to orient you, sanctuary buildings on the left now and the classroom buildings on the right. This is a view inside of what maybe the sanctuary would look like. What are we envisioning size-wise? Some of you look at that and you're like, I have no idea where I am in that building. Is that a massive uh, 500, 600, person space? No. Uh, that right there that you're looking at, the sanctuary, is currently uh, scaled to be about 250 to 300 people. It's slightly larger than what the gym was when we had that wall closed. It's smaller than what we're in right now. Um, and and it's intentionally designed that way, number one, because the sky is not the limit on what we can develop. We have to operate in reality of what we will be able to afford, and we also want to think strategically about these types of spaces and how do we use them well, how do we use them all week long, Uh, and so a 250- to 300-person auditorium uh, when it becomes uh, potentially two services. Obviously, you can do the math. That That's a very easy situation to see, a, a larger church body being able to gather there, uh, but also having the intimacy of it not being this massive, massive crowd uh, because we do really value being a size where there are relationships being built. We also desire to send out. When we say sent, that means you guys, us, me, being sent on a daily basis, but also when do we send uh, a group of people to plant in a new location? What does that look like in the future? Those are the types of things we dream about, we're not planning for those things exactly right now, but we are planning in how we design this building so that that's a strategic part of the plan. We're not gonna overbuild. Um, and so uh, this is a space that uh, would be a beautiful place to worship, but but might flip into uh, a co-working space. Might flip into that large Bible study. that might flip into who knows what. What could you imagine being there? A scouting group or a uh, after-school club of some sort or um, divorce care or a crisis recovery group, or any number of things that we could envision being there. Um, those are not fixed seats, because it would be intended that this is a space that would flex. Those seats will hopefully not be metal folding chairs. Ideally, they are a little more comfortable than what we're all sitting on right now, but. God knows, Um, and and ideally would be something that can turn into something else. Easily roll out banquet tables and turn that into an event space uh, for a a sports group from the nearby school that wants to come and have their, their uh, their evening end of season banquet in a cooler location than the school cafeteria. Or a PTA that wants to honor teachers. Heard that idea thrown out. What if we had a place where we could love on the teachers in the schools? Any number of ideas, we can see how this space could become lots of different things, weddings, You name it, there's lots of different things that could happen in a space like that. So that's a glimpse of the sanctuary, and now we're back to zoomed out. Um, It's kind of, it's a blank canvas. It's not totally blank. It's a starting point, though. We wanted to give you an idea of where we're starting from and what might God want to do with this space. How might it be uh, a great space for this church body to gather and to find ourselves at home and to really feel like, man, we could fit in there? It's kind of hard to envision ourselves, isn't it? We don't really know what it's like to fit into a space that we would create ourselves. We're so used to being so flexible and just adapting to hallways. So what would it look like? We're excited to dream about it. Some of these things are gonna probably be reality. Some of them are definitely gonna change. But we wanted you to see what that would look like. That's roughly eight to 10,000 square feet. Uh, We're envisioning that it needs to be enough for 250 to 300 people in the sanctuary, and then about 100 people in the kids' space. It's kind of how the proportions work out, um, and that is leaving room for growth from where we are today, um, and then... God knows beyond there what's going to happen. So that's kind of the introduction of uh, the outside of the spaces. I want to show you this real quick, but I don't want to get you too distracted by it. Those buildings are not actually side by side like that. This is just for the sake of showing them on the screen. How we might lay it out, there's a sanctuary space that would open up to a flexible lobby space, possibly a kid's classroom right next to that that could be where the nursery, the littlest ones are, or Not really sure. Um, The second building has space for both a very large classroom that then could be broken up with retractable walls or other things, um, or just wide open like we're used to using. We're not really sure yet. Um, And and we we envision possibly a kitchen, not a full-on commercial kitchen that puts us into restaurant requirements, uh, but the ability to host meals. You guys all know how much fun we have when we have meals together. You know that um, probably most events you go to at other organizations or things you're part of, a meal is involved. Um, so having the ability to host things like that with a kitchen would be really important. Um, but that's one of those things. It could end up having to go if, if we aren't able to meet our requirements. But we wanted to give you at least a starting point of what that might look like. Um, and 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 then there's kind of this version, which is the uh, the blank version. What does that big yellow box become during the week? What does that small blue box become during the week? What, which of those rooms becomes the counseling center for those crisis counseling conversations? Which of those rooms turns into something else that you've been dreaming about starting that God might be calling you to, to be salt and light in this community and a space would be what's needed? We're not really sure. And we're excited to think about how God might utilize that space all week long uh, for the gospel. So now now the the next part, which is the money part. And, uh, and I want you to know, again, just as these things are not set in stone, this is not set in stone. Where we are at in this process is we're sharing this with you of where we've gotten to in planning so that you can help us now determine the next steps. And so God will guide us down those next steps. Um, the way we're looking at this is we believe it is appropriate and possible to aim for a $4 million project. Now, that is not a set budget. That is not a, those buildings can be built for $4 million. We're currently going through a pricing exercise to ensure that we are designing within reality. We've already gone through one pricing exercise and adjusted scope. So we are not showing you a $10 million plan. Uh, But we do need to ensure that those plans are realistic. So if we were to target a $4 million goal, We have roughly, let's say, $700,000 in cash on hand. That leaves some of that million dollars in cash for emergency reserves. Um, That leaves a balance of $3.3 million. Well, so where does $3.3 million come from? Um, What we envision with that is to get to four if the yellow slice is cash then that leaves 3.3 as the rest. And we believe that if God were to provide 1.5 million from pledging over the next three years within our church family, that we have the capacity to comfortably borrow $1.8 million at today's interest rates And in today's terms, now that is a, I'm talking to Siri over here, Um, that is a uh, a big question mark, of course. As we think about what does the future hold, we can't go borrow that money today because we don't have plans that are ready to be borrowed on. We don't have commitments from our church family. But within what we know and in conversations with banks, we know that 1.8 is a comfortable amount that requires faith but is not unwise, we do not believe, to think about us having as a debt that we would carry. We can talk more about the details about that. Um, We uh, have come to these numbers based on conversations with general contractors, lenders, and other experts that all have helped us kind of come around a potential scenario, now not a final scenario, and there's a lot of fluidity in this plan, but this is where we're starting. And so there's two important questions, and I gotta get through these quick. Number one, is a $4 million project realistic? And then number two, is a $1.5 million pledge feasible? Uh, My three points on is it realistic? Number one, we are planning with real numbers in 2022. We're not planning with fake monopoly money. So we do believe it is realistic, but OSB cost $44 last week, and it was $26 a month ago. So there are factors right now that we cannot possibly actually account for. We're doing our best when we're having general contractors quote us that we're getting probably really high numbers. Are they high and then it's going to drop, or are they high and it's a new normal? This is where our faith in God's plans and helping us navigate the next steps is important. We are going to do our best to plan within what is reality, and we are looking at real numbers, not speculative numbers, but we also know that things change drastically, quickly, and without our control. And so we are doing our best to plan within that. We are also committed to building within a budget. We are committed to building within a budget once we determine, hey, what is our financial capacity? What is our pledge capacity? And then the team comes around and says, what does that mean we're going to do? How does that fit into this project? And as those pieces line up, we will adjust accordingly. We will not be coming to the church in a year saying, "Uh uh-oh, we have an $8 million project that we already started. We don't have a plan for it. Now, God would take care of those things, help us figure it out, but we're not going to do that. We are going to be operating with those reality each step of the way. That's why we're having pricing exercises done multiple times in the design phase, which is way early, not normally done right now. But we say we've got to know these numbers now, so three general contractors are looking at these things because we want to make sure that we're not going to bring something that is not actually doable we know that in some ways we've already done that as a church body. We went through that of having a plan that because of all the different things didn't actually work out quite the way we thought. God had an awesome plan in mind for us. But here we are. And so we have the expectation that prices are in flux and we have to, be in, we have to, flex, we have to flex with it. But we are planning as wisely as we can, knowing those factors. Um, so the second question is, can God provide $1.5 million over the next three years beyond our operating needs? Yes. I want to point you to Exodus 36. I think this is a prudent way to think about this. Exodus 36 says, Then all the artisans who were doing all the work for the sanctuary came one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord commanded to be done. They're building the tabernacle. After Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. I I don't know how the money will happen. I don't have all the answers. But we know we serve the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We know we serve the God who stirs up generosity in his people. We know that God has plans for us, and even if his plans are that we can't build two buildings, we only build one to start because that's all we can afford, God's going to work out those details, and he's going to use us for his mission and his purpose, just as he has for the last 14-plus years, just as he has for our entire lives, whether we have a building or not. But we do believe that God has entrusted us with that resource. I think of the parable of the talents God has given us something. What are we doing with it? How are we stewarding that resource well? And where is God going to take us in this next season? That's the question that we have today. We know there was more than enough when the people responded to God's call to build the tabernacle? Will we have more than enough in such a way that we say, stop giving, stop giving. Oh my gosh, what an amazing day that would be. Um, in some ways, we'd look at that and say, well, there's more that God could do, so keep giving, because then we get to do phase three and phase four and phase five, and you know, who knows what. I, you know, it'll be awesome. But we don't know what God's going to do. We do know that we are walking in obedience as a leadership team as an elder team, as a staff team, as a church family, with where God is calling us to live as salt and light in the world. We believe this is the next step on that journey. We don't have all of the pieces planned out. We don't know exactly what that will look like, exactly what the timeline is going to look like. We can talk about the proposed timelines, but we do know that God is calling us to obedience and calling us to stewardship of what he has entrusted us. Our time our talents, our resources, everything is given us. And so we believe this is the next step in a faith journey for our church family. This will not be a success if $5 million came in, but we as a body were not transformed by experiencing God's generosity and his faithfulness to us. If we simply just gave and nothing else changed in how we look at ourselves and our responsibility to the world around us to live as salt and light, that wouldn't be a success. Success in the salt and light project is not about a building. It is about us stewarding everything that God has given us. How am I living? How are you living? How are we living collectively as a community? And what is God going to do next on this journey as we live as salt and light in this world? We're excited. We are nervous. But we believe God, calling, God is calling us to this, and we invite you to join us in this, and we can't wait to see what God does. Will you pray with me? Father, we, oh, trust you. We trust you to know better than we know what your plans are for us. We trust you to lead us each step of the way. We trust you to bring the right people along us, along with us. God, I thank you for this church family that has been through so much these last two years and through many years before that. God, we thank you for the unity that you are giving us through the blood of Jesus, the unity you are giving us on mission to live as disciples in this world, Father, would you equip us and would you send us for this mission? In your name we pray, amen.